and welcome to Mind and Money, a new series from Interactive Investor that explores the impact of our psychology on our money in the hope that understanding ourselves better can lead to better long-term financial decision-making. I'm Becky O'Connor, Head of Pensions and Savings at Interactive Investor, and in this first episode, we explore how the experience of the last 12 months of living through the global pandemic has affected our financial attitudes and behaviours. Is the pandemic changing the way we view our money? Has financial security become more of a life priority? Or has a new perspective on the fragility of life itself made material comfort seem more pointless? I'm pleased to be joined by Greg Davies, behavioural finance expert from Oxford Risk. Hi, Becky. Hi, Greg. Greg is a specialist in applied behavioural finance, decision science, impact investing and financial well-being. He founded the banking world's first behavioural finance team at Barclays in 2006, which he led for a decade. In 2017, he joined Oxford Risk to lead the development of behavioural decision support software to help people make the best possible financial decisions. Greg, we're delighted you could take part in this series with us. Delighted to be with you. So on top of ill health and a loss of life on a huge scale, the pandemic has disadvantaged millions of people through the loss of jobs and income and businesses. And even if this hasn't happened directly to us, it's still been a shock for us to see it unfold. Um, I'm interested to know how you think the experience of living through this is likely to affect our emotions and our behaviours and whether this affects what we do with our money both now and in the future. Well, I think it's fair to say it, it does affect it. Um, you know, the, the thing about this COVID crisis, if we compare it, for example, to the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, is there people were worried about the economy and they were worried about their finances. In this crisis, people are worried about the economy and their finances, and they're worried about their health, and they're worried about their social network. And these things all compound massively. And there's all sorts of evidence that tells us that stresses in one part of your life don't just stay in that part of your life. They bleed over into your your emotional state more generally, and they bleed over into your decision-making more generally. So what tends to happen is if we are stressed for whatever reason, it will tend to make our decision-making more emotionally-led And it will tend to mean that we are focusing our decisions on shorter time horizons than we would otherwise be doing. We we, we tend to be less able to to take a long-term view. And of course, for financial decision-making, those two things are both harmful. Too much emotion in your decision and too much of a short-term perspective on your decision-making can both have very detrimental effects on the way in which we make decisions about our finances. Okay, and how do you how do you expect that will play out in terms of what people do with their investments in the short term and the longer term? Our pensions, for example, um, what what would it do to our risk attitudes too? Well, let's be clear. Some of the ways it plays out in the short term are entirely right and are entirely appropriate. So we have, for example, seen a lot a lot of people in the last twelve months hold more of their wealth in cash rather than have it invested. And this is not unreasonable. In a time when you are worried about your future income streams, uh, whether you're you're going to have a job, whether you're going to be furloughed, these are good reasons to maintain uh, a safety a safety buffer that is perhaps slightly larger than other times. So here's an issue where the short-termism 
is entirely right. It's about us making sure, first and foremost, are we secure? Can we build our own resilience? The trouble with that is it also tends to pull us away from, from, from good long-term decisions. So risk-taking, risk attitude is likely to be somewhat depressed across the board because in times of stress, we are less likely to take risk. We're more likely to batten down the hatches. Now, to some degree, that's right. But the problem is, if you do it across the board, what you're actually doing is you're making decisions that are going to harm your future resilience and your future wealth and your your your, your ability to withstand um, shocks in, in retirement, for example, in order to make yourself feel emotionally comfortable right now. And that can be a problem. So it's trying to find that that fine line between, have I created enough of a cushion to make myself resilient for the next six months or 12 months? Or am I doing it too much, in which case I'm harming my future uh, retirement plans and harming my future goals? So it sounds like from what you're saying that there may be too much focus on the downside and um, what's happened has naturally made us feel very pessimistic. Um, but actually, you know, it, the worst has in some ways happened now. So does the probability of this kind of thing happening again um, potentially help people um, be less risk averse again? Well, it's important to note it's it's very natural for us humans to focus on the downside in our decision making, and, and this is something that comes through, uh, you know, from our evolutionary history. If you were wandering around the African savanna and you heard a rustle in a bush, you really didn't want to wait and evaluate the probabilities of this being a lion or not. You just wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. So the focus on on the downside in our decision making is absolutely natural. But the the issue here is that it can come to dominate. There's a wonderful phrase from from Daniel Kahneman. He's the the father of behavioral economics, won the Nobel Prize um, for economics in 2002, which is a neat trick since he was actually a psychologist and not an economist. Um, But he has a phrase in, in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. He says, nothing in life is as important as you think it is while you're thinking about it. The mere fact that something is dominating our emotions and dominating our minds mean that we are likely to be play, placing too much um, too much emphasis on that in our decision making. And I think that is quite liberating once you realize it, because it means that we, we can be in a situation of fear, we can be in a situation of anxiety, but we can still realize that our mind is likely to be causing us to pay too much attention to it. And, and we can step back from that. Now, whether or not we're able to assess the probabilities of this happening again or something else happening again, it doesn't matter too much whether we've got that accurate. What matters is that we're able in our decision-making to perhaps step back and think about things in the broader context and in the longer-term context. And in, in investing, we see this again and again and again, a drop in the markets that feels utterly catastrophic to us in the month it happens. When you look back on that three, four, five years later, just looks like a blip. And that is true of the entire history of investing. And so we need to just be very cautious about not paying too much attention, having these knee-jerk responses to negative things when they happen. I think there is one thing that should be said, though, is that these crises, when they happen, are an opportunity for us to figure out how do I make my life more resilient in the future? Not necessarily more resilient to this particular thing happening again. So, you know, COVID-19, that may not be the next, in fact, it probably won't be the next crisis we face. 
But as humans, we always know there is some crisis coming around the corner. And what we should be taking away from this is how do I start to structure my life and structure my finances in order to give myself the resilience to cope with whatever it is the world is going to throw at me? interested to know if our individual responses depend on our life circumstances so does the fact for example that I'm a mother make me more likely to obsess about long-term financial security do wealthy investors react differently to those with fewer assets do older people who've been through cycles and seen crises before react differently to younger people so the the answer to all of those things is yes that the context uh, that we're in makes a huge uh, it has a huge influence on our decision making and our accumulated history and experience has a huge influence on our decision making and you know a quick example of this uh, you know, for any of you or parents out there but uh, you, you may you may recognize this but I know that I drive more slowly and more carefully when the kids are in the car now that doesn't mean that I am less of a risk taker in one context or another. Our financial personality, our personality in general, tends to be quite stable over the course of our lives. But how we express that in different contexts will be quite different. So I may have a certain base level of risk taking, but when the kids are in the car, I modify that. And the same will be true of in our financial decision making. We know that people's financial behavior changes once they become parents. We know that if people have been through a big financial crisis, particularly early in their um, early in their lives, that changes their financial behavior through the rest of their lives. So people who grew up in the Great Depression, for example, that cohort of people through the whole of the rest of their lives were less likely than other people to invest in stocks and shares, for example. People who grew up in you know, hyperinflation in the German Weimar Republic in the 1930s have a very different attitude through the rest of their lives to savings than, than, than others. So all of these things do influence our behaviors. Um, and that can be true both of short and long-term things. So you're talking about things that are about you in the long term. You are a mother or you are of a certain age and you've had certain experiences. But we do need to realize that very short-term things can also influence our, our decision-making. And those are often less reasonable. So we will make more risky financial decisions when it's sunny, for example, or when we're in a good mood or a bad mood. And these are things that perhaps we should guard against because it means that quite irrelevant aspects of our immediate context are influencing how we behave with regard to our long-term financial decisions. But it's, it's actually quite scary to think of all the things that might be impacting us without us even realizing in that respect. Yep. Um, in, in terms of uh, the recent experience of the pandemic, do you think that um, it, it could start to change what people actually invest in um, and maybe increase the demand for positive impact investing, for example? Well, I mean, at, at, the, at the base level, it has already at the moment increased people's cash holdings. And as I say, some of that is perfectly reasonable. It builds resilience. It's, 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 the, uh, it's, it's the cushion between you and disaster. Some of it actually might reflect for people who are actually reasonably comfortably off. What they're doing is they're using this as an excuse to pull away from something that feels uncomfortable. The impact investing thing is very interesting because 
at the beginning of 2019, before COVID hit, there was a huge surge in social investing, impact investing, responsible investing. And then the COVID narrative took over and it all went quiet for a while. And those of us who are interested in that space were watching and thinking, is that is that going to be the death knell of, of impact investing? Everyone's now focused on COVID. It's all going to die out. And it didn't happen. It, you know, once people had adjusted to this quote unquote new normal um, and lockdowns and things, actually, I think the focus on responsible investing and social investing came back, um, resurged with a vengeance. And one of the reasons I think for that is, you know, you often think about social investing in, through the lens of ESG. So E is environmental. S is social and uh, G is governance. So you're trying to invest in companies that are environmentally sound uh, or do good good things rather than bad things environmentally, do the same socially and have good governance. And I think in this pandemic, every one of those has had a focus on it. So, you know, the environment, we become aware of how important the environment is, where the, where the, where the virus came from, um, the effects when, uh, you know, Travel bans have come in on the environment, so there's been a huge focus on the environment. There's been a massive focus on social because our social uh, interactions have been shaken up hugely, in fact, bigger than perhaps ever in history in the last 12 months. And the importance of governance, the importance of getting things right and responding to crisis. So all of the things that are wound up within impact investing and responsible investing have all had their own increase in focus in the last 12 months. And I think that's made people very much more aware of the importance of investing well, rather than just in investing um, for, for financial outcomes. Yeah, it's difficult to square the um, the recent rise of Bitcoin in that context. Well, one of the things that people do when they're under stress is, as I said, your emotional time horizon becomes shorter. So you start to focus on what is doing well now, and also, when you're under stress, people gravitate more towards stories than numbers. They gravitate towards narratives because as humans, nobody buys a risk return trade-off. You buy the story of the investment and, and you buy the narrative. And what happens when people, well, it happens all the time, is that people tend to shy away from diversified portfolios of good investments towards concentrated portfolios of good stories. And they're very much not the same thing because stories make us feel comfortable, whereas a diversified portfolio of stuff I don't know anything about does not make me feel comfortable. And so particularly when we're under stress, we start to grab at the things that are familiar, the things where we that we're reading about a lot, the things that people are telling convincing stories. And some of that will come out as people grabbing onto things like Bitcoin that are going up, they're getting a lot of media attention. There's a very short term narrative about it. And what people are doing is effectively um, reaching for comfortable narratives um, because they're stressed and because their time horizons have shortened. Well, it, it makes sense when you explain it in that way, for sure. Um, so the thing there is, is, of course, there are there are good stories and bad stories. And I would say trying to steer your portfolio towards things that are doing environmental and social and social good and towards good governance, that is also a story, but it has more generally beneficial outcomes than suddenly trying to put your entire wealth on 17 on the roulette table or more equivalently, you know, buy Bitcoin. So do you think that any of the lessons that we may or may not have learned from this, right, because we're talking about lessons that we might have learned or might not, um, 
or any of the behavior changes that we've seen, do you think that they will be lasting? Or do you think that they're just going to, we're just going to forget all about this? It's all going to be reversed as soon as we come out, the vaccines widespread, um, party times. Well, it's, it's interesting because we've already, in a way, had a, had a view of that. So last summer, where you know, the COVID infection rates were down and hospitalizations were down and the things were unlocking, what we saw is largely people went back to exactly what they'd, they'd done before. So I think in almost all human behavior, um, we will, you know, we're not going to stop shaking hands forever because of because we've you know done it for twelve months now. So I, th- I think in most cases, um, human behavior is pretty resilient, and we'll we'll go back to how we were before. Where I think it is interesting is at the margin. There's a whole bunch of things where this last twelve months has forced us into a bunch of experiments of trying things that we wouldn't have tried otherwise. And some of those we figured out, hang on, this wasn't this isn't such a bad idea. Actually, I kind of wish we'd tried this earlier. And so at the margin, there are things where the COVID experience has actually exposed us to an example of things where we go, actually the cost benefit of that is is different to what I thought. Maybe the the benefits of commuting were not as big as I always thought. The benefits of face-to-face meetings, of getting on a plane in order to in order to see someone. These are the things where I think the last, you know, the last year or so has actually changed our perceptions. And it's not going to mean that people stop doing it and won't go back to some degree to what they've done before. But at the margin, there's a whole class of things where people are going to do less of things they've done before. Um, Going into offices, commuting, traveling, all of that sort of stuff. I think there are going to be permanent changes, but there are going to be changes at the margin. It's not going to be suddenly people did this before and they will never do that again. It's going to be people did this to this extent before and forevermore they're going to be doing it somewhat less. So for those who have, for instance, been investing more or up their regular contributions into their ISA or their pension, do you, do you expect that they would want to continue doing that or will it be you know, kind of back to spending again and well, yeah, I mean, my, my fear there is it would be would be back to spending again. Um, you know, one of the things that COVID has forced on us is uh, and some of it is 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 good and some of it is bad, but it is certainly forced on us. Uh, 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 we we have to take a close view of what we're spending on because all of us have been a bit more worried about our financial situation. So we may have tightened our belts. We may have realised that an awful lot of what we were spending our money on before actually wasn't that beneficial for us anyway. And that's where I think the the the, the opportunity is here. If we realise that perhaps uh, our focus on um, material goods, things we were spending lots of money on that were really deeply in the non-essential category, in the discretionary spend category, then maybe some of that we won't go back to where we went before. And some of that extra saving we will be able to put into um, into our, our, our pensions, into our retirement accounts. So I would expect that some of that will unwind. But I also think that to some degree, this has forced us to evaluate how do I make my financial situation more resilient to the next crisis? And some of that comes from being more careful about your spending. And also, if I am saving, channeling some of that towards um, the, the longer term, towards the retirement accounts. My fear actually is that an awful lot of the saving that people have been doing in the last um, in the last 12 months 
has in fact really been sitting in bank accounts and, and very little of that has been channeled into longer term retirement investing. And so what we would hope to see in an ideal world is when this all unwinds is we don't go back to spending more. So we're still saving. But because we're no longer quite so fearful about the short term, that we start to channel those savings into the stuff that's going to grow our resilience for the long term. So we start to put it into the ICES, we start to put it into the SIPs, and that's the stuff that's really going to um, make us more financially resilient for whatever the world throws at us next. So uh, for anybody who's listening to this and is thinking that, that a lot of this rings true with their experience and how they've responded themselves um, in the last 12 months, have you got any um, particular kind of tips that you could leave us with um, in terms of how people can sort of manage their portfolios and engage and, and avoid some of the kind of emotional short term behavior that you've talked about? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is uh, try to get your mindset out of the short term. And so I think there's there's two ways of doing that. Uh, firstly, try and avoid making any decisions on a whim, on, 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 on a, uh, you know, in a knee-jerk way. Whenever you're making big financial decisions, force yourself to have a pause point, a cooling off point. And that may be sleep on it overnight. I mean, I never, ever allow myself to make any investment decisions during the week. I only allow myself to do it on the weekend because then I know if I do that, the decision doesn't go live until Monday morning and I get to think on it and I get to reflect on it. So any big financial decision, do not pull the trigger once you've decided what to do. Force yourself to take at least 24 hours to reflect on it. Ideally, phone a friend, talk to someone else about it. Try to try to rehearse why am I doing this with someone else and get them to play devil's advocate to, to your thinking. These are the things that will reduce the emotional effects of short-term thinking of, of the, of the stresses and anxiety of the crisis. There are other things too, though. I mean, really most of the decision-making should not be about your investment portfolio in times of, of crisis. You might use it as an opportunity for slightly more frequent rebalancing just to, to trim the sales a little bit more. But mostly, you should just be leaving your portfolio as it is, unless you need to pull off some money to, to, to create a bit of a bigger safety pot. So think about that safety pot first. The rest of it, leave it where it is, leave it alone. Focus your decision making on your values. What are the financial behaviors that I have been doing over the last five years that maybe the last 12 months has taught me I don't need anymore? How much of my discretionary spend is really valuable to me? So think about uh, reducing your, your spend, think about your values, and think about your long-term goals. All of those are things that will take your mindset out of the here and now and start to, to, to make you think about the bigger picture and the longer-term picture. And those are, those are valuable things. So if we're stressed, we need to channel the stress away from short-term harmful decisions into uh, spurring us into reviewing our long-term um, uh, our long-term values and our long-term spending. That is some absolutely brilliant guidance there to finish on. Um, and you know, I'm sure others listening will feel the same. But I kind of wish I'd heard all of this back in March last year <laughs> um, at the start of it all, and I could have had a little bit more um, uh, self-awareness, should we say, um, about the decisions I would make in the next 12 months. But um, uh, another takeaway for me is that I'm sure I've been uh, influenced more than I realized by being somebody who 
um, was born at the beginning of the 1980s. Um, heaven knows what you would make of, of that in terms of spending and not saving enough. Um, but thanks so much, Greg. That was really, really useful insight. Um, and look forward to talking to you again soon. We'll be back again next month. <laughs>